Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Dave Fox to discuss the ending of Big Trouble in Little China. Words. Just words. Hello Dave. Hello Eric. Welcome aboard the Pork Chop Express. Thank you. And I would I this is my third time on the show, right? Yes. Do I get anything special third time? Is there like a jacket or something? Is there a club? I'll look into it. I'll look into it. You put me on okay. the spot there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy though that you asked me to join you on this because uh I, I, I can't think of a more enjoyable topic than Jack Burton. I was gonna ask you because it's a dark and stormy day here in <laughs> Pennsylvania. Have you paid your dues, Eric? I'm paying my dues as soon as we've finished. It's, it's <laughs> next on my list, okay? <laughs> oh, you mean literally? You're going to, like, pay I bills? Am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm off to town. Um, another question I've got for you. While we're doing this recording, for your microphone, are you actually uh, using a CB microphone and holding it in a Jack Burton way? Oh, I wish I was. I actually have the shirt that Chris from Star Wars and Character got me as a gift, the tank top with that cool artwork on it. And and as I look at myself in the mirror recently, I think I'm cultivating my look more and more after Jack Burton, which I don't know if that's not good or kind of pathetic, but I got a mullet going on. Like I think that this movie has influenced me in more ways than I even know about. But is it Jack Burton or is it Kurt Russell or is it equal measures? I think it's really Jack. I mean, I'm I'm all about Kurt Russell. In fact, my son and I just watched the uh, Watch Mojo list of the top 10 Kurt Russell performances. And everyone, you just go, yep, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like there there isn't a single one. You're like, no, no, no. Like every one of them, you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, I think it's more Jack Burton. Jack Burton was three on their list. I was a little disappointed. Who was the other two? McCready from The Thing. Number one. Number one. Number two, Snake Plissken. Number two, yeah. The top three were all Carpenter, and they even had Elvis, him portraying Elvis in the John Carpenter uh, TV movie in there as number nine. So this was all, you know, filthy with John Carpenter, which isn't a surprise because of their many collaborations. Yeah, sure. So when this came out, were you too young to see it in theaters? I I wasn't too young, but I didn't see it in theaters. This was a movie that I saw over and over and over again on cable here. This came out, and I was about 13 when it came out. I could have definitely seen it, but I just didn't. Um, but it, it became an instant classic. It, it became, I guess people would consider it a cult classic, but to me it was just a good movie. I didn't know what a cult classic was when I was a teenager. I just thought it was badass mm-hmm. because it is. But I know I know it's it's treated now as a as a campy cult classic, but it's it's always kind of just been a solid, funny, exciting movie to me. It's 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 funny you say that and you say it's always been with me with the film. We've got a bit of a checkered relationship, me and Big Trouble in Little China, because I didn't like it when it first came out. Okay. You saw it in you saw it in theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I showed it, um, and the reason I didn't like it when it first came out was, you know, I was a massive fan of John Carpenter already. You know, I, I was a big fan of his work. You know, especially Dark Star, uh, sort of Precinct Thirteen, Christine, which came out just before this. But especially, you know, we just said Snake Plissken and McCready, Escape from New York, and The Thing, mm-hmm. and um, and so I was used to John Carpenter making these films. Yeah, you know, doing quite dark, edgy films, and he was a cult film director. And then Starman came out, which you know, I, again at the time, I 
I wasn't a big fan of because it didn't seem like a John Carpenter film to me. You know, it seemed quite lightweight compared to what he had already done. And it was a bit right. of a shock to the system. And I had a bit of a problem with Jeff Bridges back then. I remember then as well. His little tick thing that he had going on, that little mannerism that he had, I found okay. quite annoying. So you were used to a style that you mainly got. I mean, his he, he has a certain style. But when he derivated from that style, you were kind of disappointed. Yeah, because I wasn't used to it. Um, if you look at his filmography... Uh, apart from, as you say, the Elvis uh, TV movie, you have all these dark, gritty films, one after the other, one, one, one. So you know another one's coming and you look forward to it in that vein. And as I say, Starman puzzled me somewhat. I've grown to appreciate it over the years. Um, and then along comes Big Trouble. And, yeah, um, I don't think I was ready for him doing any sort of thing like a screwball film or a comedy, because in my mind, you know, he was he was the serious director. And also that year, it, the year it came out, Aliens came out at practically exactly the same time. So okay. my mindset was in hard science fiction. You know? <laughs> and then I, I it's not I don't think it was a case I didn't like it. It was more a case I was just puzzled by it. Right. That's interesting because I think it, it probably depends on the order, not just with Carpenter, but with anybody, you were used to one thing. And up to that point, this is probably the first John Carpenter movie I saw. I hadn't seen Halloween yet. I wasn't allowed to watch stuff like that. And I wouldn't have been able to watch the thing either or escape from New York. Like to me, this was my probably introduction to John Carpenter and saw the other things afterwards. Mm. And, so, and you're, you're younger than me as well. And also as well, you know, we're talking, you know, mid 80s like this. The style of humor that you've got in this film is very much like the style of humor that you had in like Indiana Jones of the Last Crusade. So maybe, you know, you were registering with the film on that humor level because it is very similar, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough guy. He's a little different because he's really kind of inept <laughs> at everything he does. I mean, the one big fight scene, he spends most of it on his back with a guy laying on top of him. He yeah. he he doesn't do a whole lot in this movie, but it is that same kind of thing. It's like a swashbuckling adventure with some punchline jokes thrown in there by the hero, uh, a great sidekick. Yeah, it's very much in that vein. Have you seen people who actually say that he actually is the sidekick in this film? He's not the hero. You know, so, Wang, Wang is the hero. OK, I I can see that now. I I never I like it when people look I and I like to do it myself and look at a movie from a different perspective. I guess because I am so enamored with Jack Burton, I never could put myself in that in that light, but I can see that now. Yeah, he cuz he doesn't do it. Wang is the guy that's really saving the girl. He gets yeah. the girl. He he's the one that's doing most of the fighting and he's good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally see that. He's the bumbling sidekick. Yep. <laughs> Which makes him even more endearing because he thinks he's the hero, but he's painfully not. He's he just isn't aware of it. The others are. <laughs> yeah. They're all that they're always shaking their heads and uh, tutting at him. Absolutely. We did <laughs> we did an episode of the Grady's the Great Eighties movie debate on Big Trouble in Little China. And if you want to hear a grown man gush over a movie go find that on neozaz.com because we talked about that and you could not get me to say a bad thing about this this movie it's 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 one of my all-time favorites okay okay doke. all right with that said let's go on and have a clip then shall we Knife. Goodbye, Mr. Burton. on the reflexes we start the wedding ceremony uh, there between lopan and mal is it mal yin 
Yes. Mao Yin. Yeah. Uh, before we go on, I, I'd just like to just mention uh, Kim Cattrall. Mm -hmm. Kim Cattrall, I, I really don't like. OK, <laughs> um, there's just something about her that I don't like. But in this film, I did like her. And blimey, she is beautiful in this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was like a major crush, like as a teenage boy. Yeah. And I think a lot of it to do, to do with it is the uh, green contact lenses. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. She also and this is like this is something that would mean more to people where I live. And, and, and people know the movie Mannequin, which is <laughs> is ridiculous. But that that is a that is a Philadelphia movie. So like they they shot that in Philadelphia. So like people around here were more interested in Mannequin the movie than maybe in other parts of the world. And yeah, I used, I used to watch that all the time too. And I don't know why it's probably because of her. No, she's, she's too smug. She's just, far, she's really smug in mannequin. It, this shows you how, how somebody can be in so incredibly smug. She is smug as a Vulcan, <laughs> you know, when, in, it, when, when she did Star Trek, she was so smug as a Vulcan. When you're supposed to be emotionless, she's smug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that shows you how smug she is. But no, I haven't got a problem with her here. And uh, she, uh, she looks great. Uh, and especially in this wedding outfit, this red outfit that she's got with all the red stuff on her face. Yeah. She looks terrific. Yes. Agreed. But this isn't um, Kim Cattrall podcast. This is uh, an, a special effects podcast. So let's get on to the first special effects that we see in this segment. And it's the head thing. That floating head thing that's spying yeah. on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dave, what do you, what do you make of this? This this is this is not the worst of the things that are going to happen. I mean, I I just got done saying I'm not going to say anything bad about this movie, but I guess we're going to talk about this because the special effects are to me pretty lousy, and I don't know if it's a lack of money. Because I, I guess this is we, I've talked about this with you and I think other people too. I judge everything based on Star Wars, and maybe that's not fair. Maybe they they couldn't do those kind of things because they didn't have the technology, they didn't have the same artists, they didn't have enough money, whatever their deal is. This is not the worst of the things that I think we're going to talk about. Um, and I don't know if that's a bad thing though in this movie because this is supposed to be. A fantasy and it's supposed to be a little campy i think it's good because it's bad like if the special effects were better i think the movie would actually suffer a little bit mm. yeah it, I, I suppose yeah you're right it is in keeping with the tone of the film yes but you're right i mean we'll speak about this in behind the scenes but yeah they didn't have much money for the special effects but yeah it's do you remember boglins do you remember boglins no you must do that. They, they, they were like children's toys. It was like a face, a rubber face, and, and there were holes in the back of the head, and you put your fingers in there, and you can make the mouth open and close, and you can make the eyes move. Uh, okay, it was like a little ball, like it yeah. was, it was like squishy, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this, this looks like a boggling thing, um, and it looks to me like something out of Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, it does look uh, Henson-esque. The 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 animatronics, the tongue on this aren't that bad, really, compared to some of the other things. And I don't know, like I like I guess we'll talk about this as we go. I don't know how intentional some of these things were and how unintentional they were. This one to me is not that bad. I kind of like it. Hmm. It, it it is it is silly, as I say. It, it reminds me a lot of Labyrinth. It reminds me also of quite a bit of the, the way it's puppeteered um, uh, to Slimer from Ghostbusters. Yeah. Okay. And that's not a surprise because it's done by the same guy, uh, Steve Johnson. Okay. Uh, he worked on Ghostbusters as well. But again, you know, coming after, you know, the last special effects heavy film he did was The Thing. To, to, to go from the Rob Bottom and Stan Winston beautiful effects in that film and then you've got a boggling hovering there yeah it, 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 a bit jarring for me yeah i think it fits though i think i think it's like you said it fits the 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 theme of the movie the spirit of the movie that 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 thing kind of floats up it's you know so lopan can see them hmm. 
and the way it does kind of spin and fly away, it is very Slimer like. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. But he doesn't last long. As soon as uh, he's spotted, he gets speared. Sure. And and that's the end of him. And we go into the big fight, the big fight scene in, in that room, and you get lots of kung fu set pieces. Yeah. Um, which are good. I don't believe it for one minute. I mean, I've seen, you know, an awful lot of you know, Hong Kong cinema, and, you know, I went with it far more when it's a Hong Kong film rather than a Hollywood film mimicking a Hong Kong film, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But I, I was watching and preparing for this some interviews with him on set then and him saying that, that that's what he was trying to do. He was influenced by Hong Kong cinema and, and just that style. And I think he does a good job of capturing it. Of course, it's insanely ridiculous, but... I never for a second, like, you know, watch, you watch some movies and you're just like, come on, or you roll your <laughs> eyes. I never for a second, I'm like, like that in that, this movie, it all makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, Jack and Grace, they, they try going into the lift, one of those lifts inside the big statue things there. And, uh, we have our next special effects see, uh, <laughs> creature, the wild man, as he's called. Is that his name? They well, uh, he was based on something else. We'll we'll talk about that later. But he was called the Wild Man. Yes. Okay. I never knew what what that I never knew what he was not only called but what he was even supposed to be. This this is a, this is probably the dumbest part of the movie. This creature. Do you think? Yeah, I think this thing is dumb, especially the way the movie ends, and it has this importance in the end that it's. Hi, you know, it's hitchhiking on his truck. Mm. Like this is setting up some sequel that's never ever gonna happen. This mm. thing looks like I don't know. Like I, I know that they don't have you know American baseball in in Britain, but this is looks to me like a baseball stadium mascot. I know what you mean. I, I yeah, we don't have it over here, but uh, yeah, I, I know enough of it that you do have mascots. And <laughs> yeah, he could be, couldn't he? It's bad. It's it's it, it like the arms and legs don't move. The actual look of it isn't bad if it was standing still. Mm. The face is the face is good. It's it's very creepy. It's almost very like almost evil deadish or something like that. But once it starts to move, you you're done. You lost me because the thing is, it's a miniature Harry and the Hendersons. With a you know like, like just really really poorly done and poorly acted by whomever's in that suit. Well, we'll come on to that shortly as well. Um, but you you say Evil Dead, I say Fright Night. There was just something about the jaw and the shape of the face reminding me of like the vampire monsters in Fright Night. Okay, yeah, I can see that. The, I I like the way it looks. That close, especially that close up at the end when it's on the truck. It mm. doesn't look bad. It just looks bad moving around. Yeah. He looks okay, though, when he gets kicked in the nuts. <laughs> I like that moment. I mean, you know, he is dispatched by a quick kick to the nuts. Sure. And what even is he? Oh, we're going to come into that. Okay, because I don't know. We talked, like I said, we talked about this on a on our 80s podcast. And I don't think any of us could understand what this thing even is. It's is it some kind of mystical creature. Is it a human that Lopan turned into this? Or like, I, I don't know what this thing represents. They really... Don't ever explain it or try to. It's just there. I think you're supposed to think it's some sort of Yeti or something. Okay. Like that yeah. they brought over from the old country or something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. But it's not explained. It's just there. It's it's like the creature down in the sewer earlier in the film that just comes out, grabs somebody, and pulls them back in. Um, why is it there? <laughs> yeah, that, How did that, it get there? Why is it there? Yeah, it's it's all this like this like Chinese mysticism that you're you're supposed to believe goes on in the underworld out there like like magic and these things are true and really happen in California. That fly thing actually whatever that thing is that comes out of the wall, it it looks it's the same thing. It looks good. If you look at it like you sent me a couple of still photographs of the stuff we were going to talk about. The still photographs look good. That bug looks good. As soon as it's moving, you could tell that thing is on a dolly and right. it's coming out and coming back in. It's all mechanical. It, 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 there's no fluidity to it. It is a it is a mechanical bug that grabs that guy, takes him away. Nobody seems to give a crap. Yeah. 
And it's the same, like you say, with the wild man. You see a still of the wild man. He looks good. As soon as he starts moving, oh, dear. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. We're well, moving on. Jack and Grace, they, they, they go into the, into the lift and uh, they have a kiss. And what happens next? It isn't special effects, so we, really we shouldn't be talking about it. But I'm, I'm just going to say what happens next is one of the highlights of the film for me in that they have a kiss. Jack comes out of the lift and he's got that lipstick <laughs> smeared all over his face. And it's the way it's not telegraphed. The door opens. He comes around the corner. You haven't got a comedy close up or, or, or a bit of music to sell it. He just comes around the corner and he's got this lipstick smeared over his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great. And later she'll rub it off his face because she's embarrassed for him. Yeah. That he's running. Cause, and he'll even dispatch the the main villain with lipstick on his face. Yeah. It's all in the reflexes. <laughs> Again, he hasn't got a clue, has he? No. no he's... <laughs> Everyone's laughing at him, and he doesn't know why. Yeah, it's like having your 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 zipper down. Like, he just, he, he and Kurt Russell's, the, the way he's so serious, and he's doing his John Wayne. If he wasn't, didn't think he was the coolest guy in the room, he wouldn't be. Because, because he acts that way, he is the coolest guy in the room. Mm. Well, I was going to say, this was my next question to you. Um, I can't think of any other Hollywood action star of that time that would have done that in the middle of an you know, action sequence like this. Actually allow himself to be made silly with that lipstick. I can't think of anybody at that time that would have um, gone along with it. Yeah, it's his his comic timing in this is just as good as any action that he'll do or anything like this. Like this is a straight up comic performance early on when he's playing like the, the dorky American with his hair pasted down in the, <laughs> and oh, it's raining cats and dogs out there. You know, like that is, he is, this is a straight up comedic performance, even when he's being heroic, because even when he's being heroic, he's awful at it. When he shoots the <laughs> ceiling and it, and it falls on his head, like he can't do anything right. he, is perfect in this movie. You're right. The other people, even if they had tried to do this, wouldn't have been able to pull it off. I have always been and will always be a huge Kurt Russell fan. And people that don't put him up there with some of America's greatest actors, I think they're wrong. I think he belongs there because you want to see somebody that has range that can do this and that can play her Brooks and, and just like get the, the gut wrenching out of you. Like he, he, I think he can do it all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he is a cool dude. <laughs> and, and I don't know if this counts as a special effect, but those Buddhas knocking each other down <laughs> domino style, is that a special effect? Would you call that? What would you call that? It's a practical effect and it was done live. I, I that's what I was going to ask you. That to me looks like it's really happening. Somebody tips that. And they have it set up. I, I'm, I don't know how many times that took to do. And he gets to stand there and watch this happen. And that's a lot of pressure on him. Like he can't he can't mess this up because he's in the middle of this. Mm. He's got to stand there and let this happen. That I, I love that every time. It's just the sense of humor of this movie, even when it's action and even when it's dire straits, you know, a joke is coming and it's going to be good. Yeah, but between these jokes, we actually do have a rare moment where he does do a hero thing, which is when he throws the knife at Lopan, doesn't he? And he misses and everyone, you know, rolls their eyes and everything. And Lopan, you know, throws it back and Jack catches it and throws it and dispatches Lopan. So there is a brief hero moment for him there. That's about the only thing he does yep. <laughs> in the whole film. He kills the main villain. So good. Yeah. <laughs> And before all this, too, like I know we're talking about the the stuff from the end sequence and these monsters and that kind of stuff. But I want I, I mean, before this, I don't know if this is do you, where do you draw the line between makeup and special effects? Like, do they go hand in hand for you? I I reckon if makeup becomes a special effect when you've got additions to a person. So, you know, makeup is makeup, like what Kim Cattrall is wearing there, what. Kurt Russell's got on his lips there. But as soon as you start putting, you know, latex on the face and things like that, I guess that's when it becomes, you know, prosthetics and therefore a special effect. Okay. 
Because I, I, at, at this point in the movie, Lopan is becoming human. And it's James Wong just killing it in every scene. He's so good. Um, but the, the earlier stuff, when he is his real self, when he's old, mm. that, that to me is the best special effect in the movie. That makeup has always and will always disturb me. It looks like a skinned man because that's mm. really what he's supposed to be. And then there's that really cool shot of the light coming from inside the skull. Yeah. Uh, I assume they just build a fake Wong and put a light inside him. I mean, that that always kind of blows my mind. When when those scenes are on in the movie, it kind of makes you uncomfortable because that is so good. That's the best. That's the best effect in the movie to me. Yeah, the 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 head glowing Wong. Um, yeah, that was that was a dummy head uh, that was clear with uh, translucent, uh, you know, makeup applied over the top, and it was like a thousand watt bulb inside they could only put it on for like you know a matter of seconds before all the plastic started to melt it was that bright you and i were ex-projectionists um it was virtually a xenon lamp that they had inside there with no ventilation (laughs) you and i know if you put one of those bulbs on you need an inlet fan to keep it cool and you need an extract fan to take that heat out there was nothing inside that head apart from the bulb yeah yeah that's what i was just gonna say to you if it was that hot there's no way that that stuff would burn like 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 emulsion and film would burn yeah. within seconds. So yeah. that I wonder, I don't have to find if there's like, I want to see that thing like cook. I mean, that, that must be, that must be fun to watch in itself. Um, that like, yeah. Cause you and I would know that better that, uh, you're talking, uh, I'm trying to think what's the highest watt bulb we had at my last theater. I'd say 1600 Watts. Oh no, no, we had 2500s, you know, yeah. quite a throw. So yeah. Yeah. And they get bloody hot. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're they're bombs, basically. Yeah. <laughs> right, this isn't projectionists in character. This is uh this is special effects. Let's get back to them. Okay. Right. Um we we've got to fast forward a bit through more of the fight scenes, especially, you know, Wang being chased up and down that doorway with things being thrown mm-hmm. left and right to yeah. the doorway. It's a good way of cutting down on uh, some of the um, stump pieces to just infer it by throwing the odd bit of scenery, isn't it? Yeah, and it's more it's more comedy that that he runs by. Now that guy, I know it's 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 lightning, and is that guy thunder? No, isn't thunder the one who blows up? We're just about to talk about thunder. Yeah, He's that's lightning. The, that. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the the when Wang is getting chased by Thunder, and you just see them running back and forth past the doorway. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. And and there's the I guess I don't know what it is. It's some kind of animal, and he runs by but stops to take a second to karate chop the thing, <laughs> and then keeps running. It's another joke. There's there's, there's nonstop jokes. Yeah. This is a lot of the humor in this is very you know almost like Naked Gun. It's yeah. that silly, isn't it? You know. Yeah. You you could you could I guess stretch and say this is a spoof movie. Hmm. It's a spoof of 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 Hong Kong cinema. Hmm. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, no, no, that's a good point. Okay, right. Well, just after that, we we have Thunder come in and he sees his dead master, um, and starts to deep breathe, doesn't he? <laughs> that, <laughs> the this you think this is like the most famous effect from the movie i mean yeah. okay without fail if if, if you um, you know for research for this episode you know if you type in big trouble in little china special effects almost at the top it's this okay you know, what's just about to happen why do you think i think we talked about this on this 80s show that we did and this was a while ago why do you think he really commits suicide hmm. why do you think he does that because he's just that subservient to Lopan that he feels like he can't go on without him as I mean like like why does he do that and I don't know that the other guys would have done that not that they get the chance but is is that what you think is going on no I, I think it's more that he's thunder and he's the embodiment of thunder and he sees his boss dead there and he can't control you know, he's an elemental isn't he so the thunder inside him builds and builds and he his his physical form can't hold the elemental anymore and that's what happens so you think it's involuntary just seeing see okay because i always kind of thought that he was so upset and angry that his boss was dead that he kills himself 
But you're saying this is the this is the nature building up inside his body. Yeah, because if he was that angry, he would want vengeance, wouldn't he? He would go after the people that killed his boss. Yeah, but he doesn't. He can't move. He he starts to balloon up, and and it's a series of cuts, you know, as he progressively gets bigger and bigger, um, until we get the uh, the the final version, which is almost Looney Tunes now. Oh yeah, so, with the steam coming out of the ears and the the bulging eyes, reminded me an awful lot of. I, I guess you've seen uh, Twilight Zone the movie. I was just going to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Joe Dante one where you've got the proper you know the rob botting looney tunes type, type characters doing things just like this yeah that's exactly what i was that's exactly what i always thought because i love that movie i love all of the different set pieces maybe not the old people so much but the other the other ones are so good and that use of of chuck jones era looney tunes cartoons and that that thing that comes in this like this is this is the horror at the end of that at that twilight zone with the little kid and that tornado thing comes in and it stops and every time it stops it's a different supposedly scary face even though the kid is amused by it this looks exactly like that with the steam coming out of the nose and (laughs) it's it's so ridiculous but so good it does encapsulate in that moment, you know, everything what this film is, isn't it? You're not meant to take it seriously. You know, this is a complete, as you said, it, it's almost a spoof. It's almost a send up. It's a fantasy tale, you know, which yeah. is what I never got back then. But I totally do get now. I can see now what it is, you know, and I can appreciate it far more now than I did back then. You know, Because back then it's like. What? <laughs> I can remember watching this scene for, for the first time. I was like, you're kidding. <laughs> that was a Looney Tunes moment just then. Right. Yeah, if you take any second of this seriously, you're going to hate it probably because you're going to take yourself out of it. And I, I, I think you know, it was just like recently. My son is 15, and I showed this to him several times like around when we did this other show. And it wasn't too long ago. It was within the year. I was in the house doing something and I came into the room and he himself with nobody's urging uh, found this on Netflix and was watching it himself. And it it was like one of those kind of like proud moments, you know, like like my son not only is watching this, but he gets it like and he got it the first time like he like and I didn't have to sit and explain to him that this was like a this was a fantasy or all that kind of stuff he just was laughing along with it and and really really liked the movie so much that he was watching it on his own like I it made me happy to know that my son got it has your has your boy seen this I was just about to say my my son he's going on 17 now and he must have seen it when he was about 15 I've, I've been slowly introducing him to John Carpenter films and the two that he's seen so far is this one and Escape from New York. And he has asked to watch this one again. Nice. But not Escape from New York. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, children get it far more than some cranky projectionist got it back in the <laughs> middle 80s. Yeah, like maybe you had to see this when you were younger. Like you had mm. it, it had you had to be a little more. No, I don't want to say innocent, but you had to be a little more accepting when you watch it the first time, because if you're kind of a jaded older person not that you were old when you saw it but you know like if you don't get it the first time you see it you're not gonna get it it sounds like you did though yeah eventually i got it uh, but you're absolutely right i think i might must have been heading for mid-20s and i think i was too old to see it and unlike yourself i had seen other john carpenter films if i'd been a bit younger and had not seen any other john carpenter films or not associated this film with the director that made these other films I would have been far more uh, with it, I think. Right. Now, I, well, I got to ask you, too, like, because you are a big John Carpenter fan. And I am I am to a certain extent because I will still and always say that the original Halloween is the greatest horror movie ever made. And because I'm a big horror guy. I don't know if you're as big a horror guy or you're more like a science fiction guy. No, I, 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 I like horror films as much as i like science fiction films i wouldn't say it was my my top one though this to me is the if you're gonna watch one horror movie and you want to you want to show somebody what a horror movie should be like this is my go-to so i do yes the original halloween and i 
I appreciate some of the things that John Carpenter brings to the table, but then there's this other part of John Carpenter, and maybe it's because we were kind of talking about things that he would do later. You know, I can't believe that the same guy that made Halloween and Big Trouble in Little China made Ghosts of Mars. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something, everybody has a clunker, but at this point, are they all clunkers? Like, I'm wondering if John Carpenter, because to me, he's an enigma. And I don't know if everything that he's doing, like I think this movie has a lot of charm because of the mm-hmm. special effects and stuff. But is do you think it's all intentional? Or is it some of it just like he's, he, I'm not going to say he's Tommy Wiseau, and said that he meant to make one thing and it came out another way and he's going with it. But I don't know, based on his track record, if every bad thing or campy thing is intentional. I think some of it's unintentional. See, it, it, it's really weird. I mean, a, an awful lot of directors, you know, they start off and they and they've got an awful lot of passion and they've got an awful lot of you, you, you know uh, uniqueness about them, and you know they make fantastic films, and then Hollywood gets hold of them, and for whatever reason, you know, they become complacent. Maybe they just don't feel that they have to try so hard, and or they just do it for the money. Um, and yeah, so later on their films are nowhere near as good as the first ones, but you know, the film that he made shortly before this, uh, Christine. Okay. Which I love. I love Christine. I think it's a fantastic film. Um, apparently he didn't want to do it. Um, it was like an obligation thing and he didn't want to do it, but I thought he did it very, very well. And you say ghosts of Mars, yeah, it's not a fantastic film, but I haven't got as much a problem with it as I have with Escape from L.A. Well, yeah. Now, oh, yeah. Uh, which apparently he was all for, fully behind and everything. And so I, I really love Christine, which he didn't want to do. And therefore, I guess you can infer that he wasn't putting everything into it. And then something he did put everything into, I couldn't stand. Right. He's He is a mystery, this guy, I'm telling you. Like, I find him very, very mind-boggling. And I'll, t- I'll give you another example of why I don't, I cannot figure him out. And it's his music. Uh, I like the scores. I think, he, I think he conducts and composes score very well. I think the score of this movie is great. He's in, and, in, and in Halloween, he made one of the greatest and most memorable scores, I'd say, of all time. But one thing that I have to watch whenever I'm doing anything with Big Trouble in Little China, and my son and I watched it this morning, is his band, Coop DeVille. Mm-hmm. And the music video for the theme of Big Trouble in Little China, like with his music, is he trying to be taken seriously? Or is this another uh, intentional, I know this is campy and bad, so just enjoy it and laugh along with me? Like, like I'm, I don't know, like... Like, I think if he's that way in his music, is he that way in his filmmaking, too? It could be. It it could be a self-indulgence, you know, what you're saying there about the main theme and everything. It, it, sometimes maybe he is self-indulgent and sometimes he goes a bit too far with a self-indulgent. It, it could be that in later films, you know, he was surrounded by people who weren't restricting him with a no. You know, you see this very often with directors. They surround themselves with yes men. They all want to get paid at the end of the month. So they'll go along with whatever the boss says, you know. Yeah. So it could be something like that. Um, but uh, no, you say about soundtracks. Um, uh, that's a, another reason why I'm a, such a big fan of his is, you know, I, I, I love the scores that he that he created for a lot of his films. Yeah, I know? do, too. I think he's a good composer. But it, if you watch this video, if you have not seen this video, you have to watch it. Look, <laughs> Coupe DeVille, and it's him doing his rock star thing, and he looks like he's being serious, and he could not look more ridiculous. It's... Uh, and, and and it's like you said, this this self-indulgence thing, because around here, from then on, it's always John Carpenter's blank. John Carpenter's, this is John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Mm. It, it's John Carpenter's vampires a long way down the line. Like like that, that became a thing. He goes on tour now performing the score of his movies, like 
Yeah, he was over here last last autumn. He was here for Halloween. He was going around uh, Britain um, and playing live. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Like you, I think we're on the same page with the scores. But when I watch this video, like I watched this morning, I'm kind of like thinking, like maybe, maybe he thinks he's a rock star, and maybe he thinks that some of this stuff in Big Trouble Little China is good. And I always kind of thought that he was it was part of the joke so i I, i'm still going with that that it's part of the joke but he he makes me wonder sometimes i think it is a rock star thing i'll put up on facebook um some of the you know the the tour that he did last year uh, is available on youtube i'll have to put one up on facebook and you can see i can't remember where it was the reason i didn't go and see it is because the tickets sold out immediately you know they like gold dust um (laughs) I can't remember where it was in England, but he was actually in England um, performing on Halloween, doing Halloween on Halloween. I mean, nice. how cool is that to have been there, <laughs> to have seen that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that I would totally be in for. But if you, if you watch that, you can see he's playing to the audience. It is definitely the rock star thing. And now he, he must be getting on a bit now, but he's still got that thing in him where he wants to be the rock star. I think you're absolutely right. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, um, we've had our explosion. So we've got to fast forward to the end. And um, Jack said his goodbyes and he's gone off and he's he's got his uh, lorry back and off he goes. And he's back on his CB. And I've always thought this at the beginning of the film at the end. Who does he think he's talking to? Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 who's listening to him? I don't know. My son and I just watched. We're watching scenes again, like minutes before you and I started talking. And I said this on that other podcast. He is talking to no one. <laughs> he doesn't care. He just likes to shoot his mouth off and do as John Wayne on the CB spouting, you know, in, in his mind, knowledge. Where really not a soul is listening. You know, other truckers would be so pissed off. Like, shut up. <laughs> it's it great. could be that he's so inept that he's actually forgotten to switch it on. Could be, yeah. So he's talking to nobody. Could be. But like you said earlier, yeah, you know, he's he's waffling away at the front and we get that pan to the back of his truck and we've got the wild man hiding in there. It's the last thing you see in the entire film. Mm-hmm. Um now was this meant to be setting it up for a sequel, do you think? I don't know. Just another joke. I I hope it's just another joke because I don't think anybody's ever talked about doing a sequel to my knowledge. Oh, they have. Oh, did they? Well, I know they're talking about a reboot and people are really angry. Yeah, it's The Rock, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) No. Not interested. But Mm. maybe it's just another joke. Like, I I always have a problem with movies that don't know how to end. And I think this does. I, I think Carpenter has cultivated an ending here, whether you want to call it a cliffhanger or not. I never really thought about it. It's just, it it it, it really ends with Jack on the CB like it starts. It bookends itself, which I like. Yeah. I like when movies do that. Yeah, and also John Carpenter uh, is very good at ending films. I mean, you know, just talking about Christine there, you know, at the end of Christine, the car has been, you know, squeezed down into just a block. And at the very end, you see the fender start, you know, popping back out. And then you've got the very, very vague and ambivalent ending of the thing, which I love because you don't know whether any of them, either of them are infected. And before that, you've got Escape from New York where Snake Plissken just (laughs) walks away unraveling the cassette tape. I love uh, a lot of John Carpenter film endings. And this is in keeping with it. You're not really meant to think, I don't think, you know, uh, what happens next? Yeah, I do. I do appreciate that. And you you can be left to wonder whether there's a sequel or not. At the end of Halloween, Michael Myers is shot and then he's gone. And he does those very cool shots of just one more time around the neighborhood. And here's this house. And this is where this happened. And here's the Myers house. And then it goes away. And if there had never been a Halloween too, you'd still be like, all right, he's still out there. And I don't even really yeah. need to see it again i don't need to see what happens to him i can just know that he's out there and that's a really fine ending i love any film that ends and it's up to you to decide what happens next yes. i don't want it spelled out and you know uh, all tied up with a neat little bow you know yeah. so yeah yeah i like this ending because it lets the it gives the audience respect that you know like like you can figure this out i don't need to spoon feed this to you I, I I like the respect that he gives the audience in these endings. You're right. Yeah. 
Okay, right. So that's it. That's the end of the sequence. Right. And so next thing is behind the scenes. I love this guy too. And we, we briefly mentioned, I don't want to you know, derail you any more than I already have because that's what I do. Um, the lightning guy. I love that. I think that effect still holds up today. That the, and and it's it's like not just the lightning out of his hands, but that almost like he's got that metal chest, and he and he has to like it's almost like he's building up the energy before he can shoot it out of his hands. Before he shoots it, that that, that rapid fire pounding of his chest before he shoots the lightning. Yeah. I I think if that was in a movie today, like some of these things you see in a movie today, people laugh because it wouldn't happen. It'd be computerized. That lightning could still happen today. I think it's great. Yeah, it holds up. It's like the Emperor's lightning at the end of Return of the Jedi, isn't it? You know, it's obviously hand animated. Yes. You know, and it looks and and it looks great. Yeah, it could still happen. Yeah, yeah. All right, behind the scenes. Do you know much behind the scenes? I don't. I don't. I, you know, I we talked about this before. I do not really. I like to watch the movies and watch special effects and that kind of stuff. I don't really care often how it's made. I like it when you tell me. Because I don't have to research, but I won't research it myself. But if I hear stuff or I read stuff, I'm always interested. So let me have it. Okay, right. Here's the first bit for you to have. The film was originally set in the 1890s. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it was an Asian mystical martial arts movie. That's how it was being touted. An Asian mystical martial arts movie. Well, it still kind of is that. Yeah. And it was set during San Francisco's wild Barbary Coast days. Okay, of the 1890s. All right. Uh, But it was updated by D.W. Richter. He was the director of Buckaroo Banzai. Okay, And uh, in doing so, in updating it, he also he he was the guy who put the comedy in. Okay, he kept a lot of the beats, but he he kept the he put the comedy in. So there was no comedy when this was supposed to be set in the 1890s. It was straight action. Yeah, it was a martial arts movie with some mysticism in it. No comedy. It was. D.W. Richter, who uh, brought it up to the 80s and put the comedy in. Well, thank you, Mr. Richter. Well, you'll thank him even more because in the original version, the 1890s one, he, he was called Jack Burton and he was a cowboy. He kind of still is a little bit, but hmm. in, in a different way. He rides into town on a steel horse, not a literal one. You just made me smile so much because the next thing I was going to say is uh, originally it was his horse that he lost and he was trying to get back. <laughs> That's cool. And they turned that into his truck. This so is cool. He lost he his did, truck. Pee Wee yeah. lost his bike. Everybody was losing things in the 80s. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that that's originally Jack. He was Jack Burton. It was the 1890s. He was a cowboy that rode into town on his horse and lost it and then got caught up in the uh, – the martial arts, but it was always called Big Trouble in Little China. Even then, um, before uh, it became comedy, it was always called that. Okay, because because that's what San Francisco's one of the things San Francisco is famous for is it's Chinatown. Like that's the Chinatown in the United States. Every town has a Chinatown, but that's the Chinatown. I didn't go down that path, but I saw that when they were making the film. Um, they were rather nervous. The filmmakers were rather nervous because, I, I, as I say, I didn't go down that route of finding out. But apparently Michael, Ch- Michael Cimino had just done a film which put Chinatown in rather a poor light. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, the, the people of Chinatown were not that keen on uh, this film being made. And some of the representatives apparently were brought on set and shown around and uh, to placate their fears that they weren't going to be, you know, sent up or, you know, spoofed or whatever. Yeah, this wasn't a condemnation of Chinatown. It just happens to be where it took place. It's where it took place. Yeah, that's right. Uh, The special effects were Boss Film Studios, uh, which is the uh, company headed by Richard Edland. Nice. Um, if we if we go through them one by one, the head thing um, that we were talking about earlier, it was never on set. OK, that was composited in afterwards because it was about three feet wide. I'll put pictures up. It was huge. It was about three feet wide, this thing. And it needed to be that big because uh, you had to fit in all the cabling for the eyes and the tongue and everything. Uh, OK, so it was mostly like a, a machine it, it was it was a ball with like machine parts in it that they were controlling off screen like by remote control. 
Yeah, it, it was shot in front of a blue screen and it had a rod coming out the back of it that went through the blue screen. And behind that, you had all the puppeteers mm-hmm. who were animating it like that, you see. Yeah, the tongue is the thing that I always think because it, once it gets shot, it kind of licks its wound that mm. and it's fluid. It's it's very Muppet. It's a very labyrinth like it's like the door knockers and labyrinth. Yeah. Like they're very it seems like a real mouth doing those movements. So well done. I always think those eyes on stalks that move around and look reminds me of labyrinth when uh, Sarah, she's she's just about to go in the labyrinth and you've got that little worm wearing a scarf voiced by Terry Jones. Mm-hmm. And while he's talking to her, you've just got the, these like light chins with eyeballs that are just moving backwards and forwards that are like, you, you know, in the brickwork. Always reminds me of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can totally see that. It's good stuff. Mm. It is very good stuff. Right, the wild man, okay, we'll move on to him. Um, he was based on the Yerin, okay, which is a mythical creature from Chinese folklore. Okay. Kind of like a yeti, an ape-like being, um, which is supposed to inhabit the mountains of western Hubei. I like the fact that like, it's like you said, like, it, it does have a link to Chinese history. Not, not history, but Chinese legend. Yeah. And the first concept drawings that they came up with were considered to be too horrific. It was too much like a horror creature. Okay. And it was John Carpenter who, who wanted it toned down a bit to, as you say, you, you know, match the rest of the film. Okay. Um, he wanted a, a cross between a wolf and a vampire. <laughs> but every time they, they were drawing it, it looked too much like a werewolf. Um, and a guy by the name of George Jensen, who was coming up with a lot of their sketches, um, he realized that if he lost the snout, then things were going the right way. And um, eventually they came up with what they did. Okay. Yeah, taking the nose away makes it look less like an animal and more like a man. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so once they had kind of like nailed it down and were happy with the design. Steve Johnson took over the guy that I said, you know, had worked on Ghostbusters. Um, he did a three dimensional sculpture of the sketch. And um, then that was um, sculpted and built as a creature suit by Keith Brennan and Teresa Burkett. And they based the idea of how this suit worked and how it was put on and how it was worn by what Rick Baker had done for Greystoke. Okay. <laughs> so if you take the head off, the the rest of it is basically a Grace Grace Stoke um ape suit if you like. Okay. It is very ape like. Like it could be whether the the orangutan in in the jungle book. Like it, like with the orange fur it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. All all that orange fur was hand punched, you know, one um one uh, one hair at a time. Are you serious? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it basically the suit it, it's some sort of spandex, and over that there's muscle padding, and over that you had another layer of spandex, which with all the hairs individually tied into it by uh, a guy by the name of Jack Bricker, had the uh, lovely job of doing that. My goodness, he uh, probably had carpal tunnel syndrome by the time this thing was over. I I I I really admire the craftsmanship though of the thing. Like so, hats off to all these people for the way it looks. It's still what we were talking about, the movement of it. Like, it looks it looks amazing. Mm. Until it moves. Until it moves. Yeah. The head and the face, I mean, like you say, at the, ba- at the end, it doesn't look too bad at the end when he's crouched down there and he's just like, you know, looks at the camera and snarls a bit. Yeah, no, I'm down with that. Like the, if they Because you don't see the body. You don't. If they could have done something. Like, I know that it's grabbing her and taking her into that little, you know, Buddha room, cave type thing. Like, so that... That's what it's trying to do anyway. Um, so it doesn't have to move. But if we had just gotten two shots of the close up of the face, people would be saying, remember that cool creature in Big Trouble in Little China? Yeah, that mm. thing was awesome. Yeah. The uh, the suit that the guy was wearing, the, the head of the suit, um, again, was based on a, a past film. And that's Planet of the Apes in that when he opened his jaw, the mouth could open and close, just like the um, the, the ape mask in Planet of the Apes. Right. Don't tell me Roddy McDowell was in that thing. 
No, 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 no. Okay. The guy who was in it, okay, was a stuntman. He wasn't an actor. He was a stuntman. And he hated doing it. He hated the suit <laughs> uh, that he was actually paid money to wear uh, because he, he thought it was cumbersome. He didn't um, like the elongated arms. And, uh, yeah, so I think that comes across in his performance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he also, he couldn't really see because his head was below the creature's head. His head was somewhere in the neck. So he couldn't see anything? He was they, they gave him no line of vision? No. Ugh. And he refused to walk in the manner that Steve Johnson wanted. Um, Steve J- J- Johnson wanted him to walk on tiptoes, kind of like Lon Chaney Jr. did it as the Wolfman. Uh, but he refused to do that, so he just walked his own way. So, again, this might explain part of the problem with when you see him moving it, in, is this guy is very reluctantly doing it, and he's not doing it properly. Right. Why'd they fire him? I mean, like, could, they couldn't have gotten any other person that would have loved to have been in a major motion picture. Can you follow directions or put this crap on? Tiptoe. Tippy-toe. You're being paid for a job. Do the bloody job. Yeah, I hate that guy. What's his name? I couldn't find his name, just the stuntman. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a reason that it is our name. <laughs> they should have fired him. Well, yeah. Like, get, get who 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 would have made that? Not Carpenter, probably. He wasn't directing every scene. But, no. yeah, somebody, somebody need to do something about that, because it does suffer. You're right. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, right, we'll move on to the exploding thunder. Um, it's not no surprise, really, that they, it, it's basically an inflatable puppet. Um, again, I'll put up photos on Facebook where you can see that, you know, yeah, it's the head and shoulders, um, and it inflated. (laughs) It's so bad. Did they have that actor like sit and they did like a, a bust of him? Yeah. To begin with the first, if you look at that scene, it's various cuts. And so it starts off with him doing his heavy breathing bit. And then he's got a bit, you know, added to him. And then, yeah, (laughs) when we next go back, it's a balloon basically, um, and when, as silly as it looks, I mean, it, they, they've gone to a lot of trouble. They've done a very good job of it. I mean, it, it looks silly, but it looks realistic, if you see what I mean. Yeah. This is, this is, I just remember this, and we were, we were talking about, like, so he's blowing up, and there's the, it, the face looks bad when it's, when you first see the cheeks puffing out. It looks like he has the mumps. Hmm. It looks really good in a comical way when the when the steam is coming out. But they show a shot of the feet, and the feet just look like straight up, <laughs> like you know, like when you were little and you take like a rubber glove and blow it up. Yeah, it looks exactly like that. Like they, they painted that they painted that color. But he, that's what it is. That, that is exactly how they did it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like, as I said at the top of the show, they didn't have much money. Um, back then, Richard Edlund said how much, and I can't remember what it was. It, it, it was a few million, but he said at that time that wasn't much for a big, you know, Hollywood blockbuster film special effects budget. That's ridiculous. And this is this is maybe because I'm just remembering this even a little more as we talk about it. You know, you talked about him that he blew up for one reason, and I'm saying it was a, a, maybe a suicide because when he is blowing up, he pulls out a knife. Does he pull yes. out that knife to pop himself? No, I th- I think he wants to go after our heroes, but he can't contain, he can't move because all this is happening to his body. I think his intention was to take it out on them, but he just couldn't move. Okay. Yeah, I never saw it that way. I don't know why. Like, and I've seen this movie a million times. I always think that, I always thought that he did he kill himself, pulled out the knife to and and his life because he knows if he you know punctures himself he's gonna blow up and why does he blow up green there's like a green light <laughs> when they throw the ham hocks and stuff out in the end of the hall there's a green light that comes i think if it had been red that that would be too much it would infer a, a gore fest that's happening true off screen that's you know? true and it is supposed to be mystical and it's yeah yeah there you go all right well that's the behind the scenes over so we now have to go on to a rating. Now, what we'll do with these three things, we'll do them all separately rather than one combined total, okay? Okay. So first thoughts on the head thing. The head thing, I I think, is is really not that bad. It's not great. But for the time period, it does hold up with things that came out around that time. And I'll use Slimer because you said the guy is a, it's the same guy. I'll, I'll use that. So I'll say 
I, I give that a seven out of ten. A seven? Blimey, I didn't think you were going to go that high. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like the thing. Especially, I told okay. you, like the animation of it, I think, is very, it, it's fluid. When things are fluid, I don't know, like even when, like animation, when you watch good animation and you can't see the jumps back when they did actual 2D animation, I appreciate the time it took to fill in all those cells to make it look like one fluid motion rather than when it's jumpy and you know they cut corners. Hmm. So I'm, I'm equating it to that. So I give it out a seven. Okay. I, I might have given it more if, you know, it wasn't such a silly design. Um, but it's perfectly, you know, uh, competent and that. So I'm just going to give it an average. So I'm just going to give it a five. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So that gives us an average of six for that one. Okay. All right. So we'll move on to the wild man. This is awful. Now, <laughs> we, we've talked about the... the the look of it and that's fine, but they betray themselves. And this, this guy betrays it all. Once he starts moving around, I think this is the worst thing in the movie. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. And, and it's a shame because it could have been a highlight where instead it's a negative. And I'm going to give this because I like the look of it. I'll give it a couple points. I'm gonna give this a two out of 10. Two. Okay. All right. Um, mm -mm. um, Nice face. Shame about the body. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. If if you if you just um, you know look at a still of his face, it looks it looks absolutely fine. But as soon as he starts moving, it's like that's that looks like what it is. That's just like some orange ape suit. And also playing it for laughs takes a lot of it away. Um, but I'm going to give it another five. Okay. Okay, so that gives it a three and a half. That's generous. It is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But it's still considerably lower than the six for the head thing. Yeah, yeah. Fair All enough. Right. Okay, um, and then we have Mr. Thunder. <laughs> this, I think, because of the spirit of the movie, you have to take that into consideration. Because if you were just judging this based straight based on how it looks, you would destroy this anybody would this is awful like it is bad but because it fits the theme in the movie i gotta go high marks on this because it if it, it, it's like it's kind of what i said before these effects are good because they're bad if mm. if the effects were better it would suffer they're going to remake this with the rock and do something like this it's going to be computer generated and they can do whatever they want they can make it look like it's actually happening and it won't matter because it, it will betray the spirit of this movie. So because this uh, upholds the spirit of the movie, I'm giving this an 8 out of 10. Okay. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm just doing my maths. There we go. Right. Okay. It's a very well done effect. Um, very, very silly, but it's still a well done effect. So I gave it a 7. Nice. Okay, and you gave it an eight, so that's seven and a half. We're pretty close in general. Yeah, yeah. So he comes out the winner, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And the wild man's down there where he belongs. Absolutely. <laughs> I tell you, just lately, uh, at time of recording this, you know, on effectively speaking, we, we've had an awful lot of high hitters just lately. You know, eights and above. Mm -hmm. So it's about time we had something that was below a five. You know. <laughs> Because the chart that I'm doing on Facebook is is getting very very top head heavy. It's about time we had something down below. Right, you're doing you're doing high quality stuff because you just did do the thing, right? Like this is your second Carpenter Russell collaboration within uh, you know a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, and in a couple of weeks' time we've got an Escape from New York lined up, so Mr. Russell will be back on the show. I will look forward to hearing that. Okay, excellent. All right, well that's us done. Uh, the Pork Chop Express is waiting outside for me, so. I've got to go off and pay my dues now, okay? I think, and and if you and I ever do get together one day in London, sitting at a pub, we are doing that thing with the beer bottle, okay? I tell you what, Dave, London has got an excellent Chinatown. Does it? Yep. Do you have a hatchet? I can get one. I'm off to the shops right now. <laughs> get a hatchet. Um, I'll let you decide if you want to be Wang or Jack. And at one point, 
even if it takes a hundred times, one of us is going to shoot that bottle across the table, catch it in our hand and say, it's all in the reflexes. What a great way to end the show. Thanks for your time today, Dave. It's my pleasure. All right. And thanks, everybody out there. Go over to Facebook. Uh, We'll be putting stuff up on there. So um, we'll see you all soon. Bye-bye.